CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Josh Marshall and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are still in quarantine mode. I guess like the whole country is is still in quarantine mode and yet not totally in quarantine mode. We have, you know, across the country, the reopening of society is has been the story for the last couple of weeks now. And it's important to note that it's no longer just Georgia or, you know, something the governor of Mississippi or Alabama is saying this isn't, you know, this doesn't fit with our culture. Um, it's happening everywhere, and I think it is it is clear this is not this is not just a a, a crazy thing that uh, Trump acolytes are doing. The country is experimenting in figuring out how we can conduct some sort of semi-normal social and economic life while we still have this disease that is, you know, abroad in the land and still infecting people. Uh, The statistics nationally for the last week or 10 days have been somewhat encouraging. Uh, The, I mean, it's, it shows what a strange time we are in that having only five or 600 people die in one day across the country actually is, is, is good news. That's down from 1500. There were, there were some days, uh, a few weeks ago where, where approaching 2,500 people died each day. So all this is happening and we're going to get down into all of this with my colleagues, David and Kate. But before we do that, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. I was actually uh, talking to Grady, or actually emailing with Grady yesterday, talking about what's going on for them, talking about getting some new ad copy. We've we've sort of gotten into this thing where I do sort of free-form ad reads. You know, because when we first went into quarantine, I didn't have... I didn't have the scripts, you know, the ad scripts for, for Grady's. But the truth is, I drink. I actually have Grady's right here on my desk as we're as we're as we're doing this remotely. It's a great product. Uh, I was just talking to Grady. A lot of people, a lot of people are ordering it because it, it is it is such a, a a great product. And you know, you're at home, and you're probably it's not as easy to go to uh, your local coffee shop. You shouldn't anyway, because local, co- you know, coffee shop. It's not as good as Grady's, especially if you like cold brew iced coffee. So Grady's is a great product. They sponsor our podcast. We all drink it. Again, it's not just that they're the sponsor. We really, it's, I've been drinking this stuff for seven or eight years. If you want to order, you can go to Grady'sColdBrew.com. If it's your first time ordering, you can get 20% off with the promo code TPM. You can also order it at Amazon.com. And uh, a lot of your local grocery stores around the United States have it. So give it a try. Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee, sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. David. Yes. What's up? All right. So lots to get to today, as you said, Josh. Uh, I wanted to start with uh, an interesting and kind of fun uh, story that Kate wrote yesterday, which is this 
this scandal unfolding across the pond in the UK. One of Boris Johnson, the prime minister of UK, one of his top aides is under fire for breaking the the lockdown restrictions that we've been talking about, uh, you know, the social distancing, the staying at home orders, all that kind of stuff. Um, and Kate kind of dug into what's going on over there, this guy named Dominic Cummings, who's uh, one of the lead pro-Brexit figures in the country, uh, a senior advisor to Boris Johnson, who himself, you know, Boris Johnson tested positive for coronavirus, was in the hospital on oxygen. Uh, what seemed to be, you know, kind of a serious situation for a, a world leader. Um, he's since recovered and is, is back to work. But um, Kate, tell us more about this story. It's funny because in a way, it's such a British scandal in that you can tell us kind of the details, but it'd be a tame blip on the radar if it were an American story, especially when we have someone like President Trump uh, in office. But tell us what's going on in, in the UK. Right. So what happened was basically Dominic Cummings' wife started showing symptoms of coronavirus. And, you know, by this point, uh, Johnson had already tested positive. So Cummings figured that he would probably get it sooner rather than later. And they have a young son. It's only four. So they made the drive from London to his parents' home in Durham uh, to put the the child into the care of their extended family who lived there um, in case he and his wife were too sick to take care of him. Um, and then while he was there, they made a, a little pit stop uh, to a castle about 30 minutes away. And that is... That's the sum there you total. Know it's, it's a British scandal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's the kind of the sum total of the scandal. That's really it, is that he drove, you know, every single headline is using that he drove 260 miles during lockdown. Um, and I think what's kind of interesting about this and what makes it so British to me is the outcry and reaction to this is fairly uniform. You know, it's coming from both the opposition party and 20 conservative MPs have threatened to quit over it. Um, an undersecretary in the administration actually submitted his resignation because Johnson has remained unbowed and stayed by his side. Well, wait, the 20 MPs like quit, they would, are they members of the government? They would quit uh, ministerial positions in the government or they would like, or they would no longer back the government? They're, I think they're just being critical kind of of, of his actions, right? Okay. All of the publication is referring to them as backbenchers. Oh, right, um, right. Well, yeah. I guess that means they wouldn't... Well, okay, we'll see. Yeah, I don't, who knows? But it's a big deal regardless. Exactly, a big deal. And, you know, everyone is pretty... The central tenant that everyone's mad about is how can we be telling people to stay at home, submit, subject themselves to the isolation, the, you know, economic losses, everything else, um, while high-powered members of the government can flout those rules with no consequences, which is, you know, so absolutely valid, but it's just trying to, like, take that scandal and superimpose it over America. You're just like, I mean, Trump's been golfing for weeks, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, right. we don't have anything that compares. Um but kind of that's happening. And at the same time, Johnson's approval numbers, which people think were artificially inflated from his hospital stay and, you know, the rallying around the flag thing that happened during that have just plummeted like 20 points in four days since he stood by Cummings' side. Um, and as you alluded to, D.T. Cummings, um, it's already very polarizing and pretty unpopular from his um, vehemence as being one of the big proponents of the Leave campaign for Brexit, which also, you know, 
paved Johnson's path to power. So you've just kind of got a perfect storm brewing over there. Yeah. I would say the you're right in that the the response has been swift and and very critical. Uh, mm-hmm. If you know, whenever there's a scandal like this, kind of bubbling up in the UK press, it's always fun to check out the front pages of the various newspapers. <laughs> one I saw was like <laughs> "Farce and Furious" was one headline, uh, which, is, which I thought was pretty good. Another, I think, the Daily Star um, had a cardboard like a you could cut out Cummings' face on the front page and it said it's like a free do-whatever-the-hell-you-want mask kind of thing. So um, always fun to check in on our mm-hmm. British colleagues there for well, you know, treatment. There, there was this earlier scandal. There's this guy, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Niall or Neil, Neil Ferguson. He's a professor at the Imperial College London. And as the as the epidemic has unfolded over the last few months, you know, there's been a few models that come out of this working group at Imperial College London. You've probably seen them in the news. He, uh, uh, Ferguson, is sort of the lead of that group when the UK, you know, made this this about face from herd immunity to like to lockdown. He, I believe, was brought in as an advisor to the government. In any case, there was a similar scandal, uh, I think at the beginning of May, where his girlfriend, who I'm not sure whether the the exact label to use, girlfriend who is married, um, but apparently maybe in an open relationship. In any case, the girlfriend was coming over to his house to, you know, do things that, that, you know, you tell little kids when people are in love, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, for like, you know, booty calls or whatever. And and so this came out and then he resigned his position uh, as, you know, government advisor. And I think the key thing was that uh, Cummings is part of the government. So he's sort of on the line for these policies. But Ferguson was the guy saying the the country has to lock down. He was the one who pushed it. He pushed it successfully. He got the government to buy in. So it was sort of, in some ways, it was a, you know, kind of a bigger scandal since since with Cummings, I don't think he's like particularly identified with the lockdown. He's just, it's government policy. He should follow it. Um, so this seems to, you know, this, this, this seems to crop up in, 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 in the UK. Like Kay was saying, Cummings has been a very polarizing and unpopular figure for a long time. And, and British PMs kind of have these type of guys who kind of hang in their orbit. I think of, I think his name is Peter Mandelbaum, this guy who Tony Blair had sort of comparable sort of, sort of figure. What, what I wonder though, is that, because as Kate said, it's a pretty big reaction to what, you know, going to, Taking the the child to relatives in the country that doesn't seem that unre I mean that doesn't seem crazy, um, and maybe they went on a you know visit to a castle, which I guess you do, especially if you're a you know in a Tory government or something like that. Um, but I wonder whether the intensity of this is basically a an outlet for unhappiness with the government because the you know we. We talk a lot here in the U.S. about how much we've sort of fumbled things, but compared to Europe, the U.K. has done really poorly. Its 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 numbers are all bad, um, and that has the reaction to that. I think has been was for a while muted because 
the, the prime minister not only contracted the virus, but got quite sick and everybody has sympathy and, and all that kind of stuff. But now that's kind of coming to the fore. So I wonder if this is like sort of like an escape, you know, escape valve. Yeah, for I that. think that's definitely true because you've kind of seen the polls about people's reaction to the Johnson administration's handling of the pandemic. That's been steadily going down and down and down. And his personal approval numbers were still staying rosy, even while those numbers were pretty dismal, which I think you can attribute to the sympathy about the hospitals today. But now he's kind of, he's worn out that sympathy. You've got his right-hand man flouting the rules that everyone else is suffering under. And at the same time, no one thinks he did a particularly good job to begin with, especially compared to the rest of Europe. And, you know, you've got the complaints about the late lockdown there was 66% of respondents in a poll conducted at the end of April thought that he locked things down too late, you know, and that was a month ago. So, and now that people are getting tired under the lockdown, I'm sure all, all of those things are kind of combining in a perfect storm that leaves an unpopular figure as the kind of scapegoat or the concretization of all that unhappiness. Right. Yeah. It is interesting to think about what a scandal like this would look like in the U.S. I mean, meanwhile, we have the president of the United States uh, accusing a prominent cable news host and former congressman of murdering an aide about 20 years ago um, in a case that is just basically open and shut. I mean, there's nothing to it. But yet Trump, as the U.S. is approaching 100,000 coronavirus deaths, is still tweeting about Joe Scarborough, you know, accusing him of murder, basically. Um, and, you know, the press here obviously does react in shock and kind of horror at that type of thing. But it's sort of par for the course for Trump. And it's, um, it, I don't know, this Dominic Cummings story, it's, it's interesting just to think about it in terms no, I'll, of that. I'll, I'll tell you guys, it's before your your times. But this story, oh God, you know, uh, relatively soon after this young woman died, this became sort of a a conspiracy theory that was big on the left in the Bush years. Uh, I wouldn't say big on the left. It was definitely like, uh, I'm, I don't know what the equivalent would be exactly, but it wasn't something that, that proper people took seriously, but it did have this earlier life. Um, so it's weird to see it coming back again because well, this is like this happened like 15 years ago, right? It was this like 2001, died. yeah. Okay, right. So even even almost 20 years ago. Um, but it is it is it is weird because this is the kind of thing that um, I don't know what is really uh, comparable to it, but it it was you know random people kind of on the internet that were anti-Bush uh, were pushing this, and and as you said, there's there's. There's never been any evidence for it, um, and it, it's 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 just weird to see him yeah. going back to that well. And you also you have the the spouse of the dead woman pleading with Twitter to take down his tweets, you know, for besmirching her memory and using her death for political purposes, which then kind of brings another Twitter story into the fore. It 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 is. It is something. About, I mean, we know this about Trump, but it is a a good illustration of it. And I think the way that he just thinks about life, thinks about truth, that you know, does he believe this is true? Like, I'm not even sure. I, I'm not even sure. I would say, of course not, because I'm not even sure those things even fit into his calculus. It's just, you know, if 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 I'm in a fight with you 
and there is a bat, you know, on the table, I'm going to pick up the bat because I need something to hit you with. And and I really think that that is that that is the best sort of metaphor or analog to how he thinks of this thing. You know, he's, he's, I'm sure he's, he's griping with someone about, about Joe Scarborough. I mean, why, who knows? Because it's, it's, it's not like, you know, who cares? You're president of the United States, right? I mean, there's, it, 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 it's not that big a deal, but I'm sure someone says, oh, there was this time, but you know, few people ask questions about blah, blah, blah. And he just goes with it. And it's just, I was going to say, I think Exactly what you said, Josh, is kind of him using a lesson that went well for him in 2016, which is that he just threw all the spaghetti at the wall against Hillary Clinton. And that was, you know, people say that the media still hasn't learned their lessons, but at a time where people were even less accustomed to covering Trump. So, you know, the the candidate for one of the two main parties was lodging an accusation. That's something you covered. And then all like, you know, all these accusations are ridiculous, but he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it until he came upon the email thing, which had some resonance for whatever reason. You know, I mean, it's not like that was the first thing he came upon. He also tried the, you know, to bring in the women who accused Bill Clinton to that debate or, uh, you know, when she was sick, he tried to blow it out of proportion, make it seem like she was dying and didn't have stamina and whatnot. Well, and, and also the, yeah. the, the thing with, with the, I mean, the the accusations against Bill Clinton are a thing in themselves, right? And that's a whole conversation. But it shows his, I don't know what it shows, that no other political leader in history would have had the, the boldness to go there when he was in the midst of numerous women <laughs> accusing him right. of harassing them, <laughs> raping them you know, all these kind of things. And, and like, you know, there he goes. It's just, you know, kind of nothing matters as, and we, I kind as we know. Of, and I think some, to some extent, this Scarborough stuff, you know, which kind of blends into the being mad at Twitter thing for labeling one of his tweets with, you know, a read more about mail-in ballots here as they're kind of extremely lame attempt to fact check him. <laughs> I'm I glad just, you I said think, that. Yeah, it is extremely yeah. lame. It's just like, it seems to me that, you know, we've talked about Trump's flailing for a few weeks now, but it at least seems to me somewhat connected to the fact that he has struggled to lay a hit on Joe Biden up until this point. You know, I think you've seen what I think Don Jr. calling Joe Biden like a pedophile. So they're trying out the totally baseless playing off the fact that Joe Biden is too touchy to try to blow it up into something insidious. You know, you've got him trying to call him senile, which, you know, while not to the degree of the Bill Clinton accusers is, you know, oh, one late 70s man to another. But, you know, it at least seems to me I'm, I'm that I'm sure he, Trump would say early 70s, early right, right, 70s, Kate, me, only 73. <laughs> fake fake yeah, news. Fake my news. Fault. <laughs> but it does seem to me that he hasn't landed upon something like that has gotten the traction for whatever reason that Hillary's emails did with Biden up until this point. And you're seeing, you know, Biden's holding steady in the polls, you know, despite the constant bedwetting over Biden's in his basement, he's losing the media war. That doesn't really seem to be reflected in the numbers. So I think to some degree you have Trump fighting these proxy battles, whether they be with Twitter or with Joe Scarborough, because he can't kind of figure out how to approach his biggest one. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, the backdrop of all of this, obviously, is the total lack of federal response to the coronavirus pandemic. The, you know, in a in a normal situation, we would look to the federal government to to provide leadership on testing, on the protocols for kind of getting back into public life. And finally, I guess the White House or the CDC released some detailed guidance on that front. But um, instead, the president of the United States is using his time to, yeah, try to dredge up a nearly 20-year-old conspiracy theory to go after Twitter for, yeah, a very mild rebuke fact check about his tweets about mail-in voting. And to Kate's point, though, that was the thing. It like you would have to someone would have to tell you that it was a fact check because it, it on its face, it just looked like, hey, he's talking about mail-in voting click here to find out more right it <laughs> yep. just i mean it literally doesn't doesn't identify itself as a fact check in right. any way it's 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 uh it it shows how uh, toothless but also sort of impo- i'm not sure i'd say impossible situation it is but it's more like you know he's you know, I guess like Ariana Grande or whatever has more followers or, you know, Kim Kardashian, but he's got like 80 million followers, right? He's one of the, has one of the biggest followings and he, he routinely breaks all of the rules that, that can get, you know, ordinary mortals, uh, you know, uh, turned off temporarily or have their, you know, accounts suspended or, or deleted. But yeah, the whole thing is, is nonsensical. It's, it's funny, you know, Kate, you make a point with, 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 Biden, I mean, obviously things change. Maybe maybe things will seem differently um, in, in a few weeks. But I do think that um, there are things about Biden's public persona and which I think are to a, a real degree his actual persona that are hard for Trump to kind of get traction with because I think – People generally feel that Joe Biden is an empathetic, um, straightforward person, I guess is how I'd put it. I don't think people think of him as having a lot of guile, mm-hmm. right? A lot I of think like, for better or worse, yeah, his authenticity it, is it, his exactly, primary Exactly, exactly. And, and, and um, in a lot of ways, certainly for people who don't like Hillary— but even for people who do like Hillary, Hillary Clinton is a very savvy, sophisticated person. To people who don't like her, and even some people who do like her, right? What's her angle? What's her, you know, th- that, that there's a strong sense of she's an operator. And politicians in a lot of ways should be operators, right? These are, these are, these are in many ways good traits. Um, but again, the... The things that Trump's the things that Trump always comes back to are you're a phony, you're weak, you're duplicitous, all these kind of things. And I think at a basic level, people might think a lot of things about Joe Biden, but this whole the whole thing of like empathy, hearts basically in the right place, are things that I think a lot of people just intuitively accept, think about him, and that just makes it kind of hard for for Trump to play the Hillary-like playbook about him. Um, I think, I mean, there's a whole other, I don't know if we want to talk about, you know, the, the, these Tara Reid allegations. I think that that is one of the reasons, I mean, I think the major reason is all the things that have 
come out about her accusations the last few weeks. Um, but it's you know there's 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 things about those those basic character traits that he has that make it tough for Trump. Yeah, I think even the latest kind of volleys from Trump at Biden are like over Biden wearing a mask when he went out in public over the Memorial Day weekend. And I think Britt Hume, one of the uh, Fox News personality, tweeted a photo with Biden in a mask saying something like, is this how you want the president of the United States to look like or something like that? And then the White House press secretary yesterday had this bizarre, um, I guess, line of criticism against Biden saying that, oh, it was peculiar that he wore a mask in public, but when he's in in the basement with his wife, he's not wearing a mask. And it's kind of like, does <laughs> anyone, totally wear, non, does totally anyone wear a mask in yeah. their home? I mean, yeah. when you're with your immediate family members, it's just, I mean, and it's just sort of an example of how kind of lame and weak that argument right. is. Well, and I think to Josh's point, I think that's right that political attacks do the most damage when they hit a chord that people were already thinking or fearing or suspecting. And I do think that's why as dumb as the Hillary emails thing was, which is so mind-numbingly dumb, it hit on people's concerns, a lot of which I think are based in the fact that she is an ambitious woman, that she, like you said, Josh, is an operator, is calculated, always has an agenda, and for better or for worse, Biden doesn't have those things. And I do think to some degree, along with the fact that it seems like a lot of major tenants of the Tara Reid accusations have kind of fallen apart, or at least had a lot of doubt cast over them, that it doesn't stick as much because it seems so out of character for Biden. And this is not to say that a, a man who comes across as likable or affable cannot also sexually assault w- women. But I'm just saying, I think the potency of that has been a bit lessened by a combination of that people think of Joe Biden as a likable, if boring, figure. Right. Plus the fact that almost nothing is breaking through coronavirus news right now. Yeah, no, I think, and 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 in Hillary's defense, I mean, another part of this is is that, you know, twenty five years of spade work had been done, attacking her character, you know, creating this narrative about her, um, that kind of went, kind of became latent while she was Secretary of State because she sort of, you know left the political, you know, the, 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 the campaign political realm. Uh, but Trump had that to play on and, you know, a whole other debate about how much of that is, you know, how much of that was real, how much of whatever, but it was there, whether it was fair or not, it was, it was, it was there. And, uh, I mean, the, uh, the, one other thing I would say though, just kind of for where the campaign seems to be right now is that, you know, Biden is in this race as the non-Trump. He's the make it, make it, you know, make the bad guy go away candidate, right? He he's and and he's in some ways uh, good for that part, in as much as in many ways he is very different from Trump, right? He's he's. I mean, the one thing Trump has never. If if you could do an MRI of Trump's brain and isolate the empathy, you know, cortex, <laughs> it would be it would it would not be showing any electrical activity. Right. <laughs> he's just he's just the opposite of, of the guy. But in many ways, he's just he's just the non-Trump. He's make Trump go away. He's make this nightmare end candidate. 
And but you see, you know, Trump's numbers are kind of cycling down. He's attacking China. He's attacking this person. He's attacking that person. And you see it's kind of building on itself because the one thing that is universal in politics, you can't look strong or smart when you're flailing. And polls is sort of how we judge this stuff and or your ability to control media cycles. And it is just kind of obvious to everybody that he's not doing well. And so much of, you know, uh, so much of Trump's thing is, you know, as he says, winning, right? We're going to win. For Barack Obama, Barack Obama had all sorts of different things that he was about. Obviously, every politician has to win. But when you talked about Barack Obama, you're like, well, because I want to win, right? <laughs> so, so Trump is particularly vulnerable to being a loser. And right now he's a loser. And, and, and that just, it builds on itself because he, the more he flails, the more desperate he gets, the more he's coming up with a new enemy each day. And it's, it's uh, you know, it builds on itself. And I think that's the risk of, you know, Trump's only semblance of an ideology. If we think of ideology in the way, like you were alluding to that, you know, Barack Obama's ideology was hope and change and, you know, progression. Um, you know, Trump's ideology is I am nothing like a president you've ever seen before. I'm going to come in there. And I'm going to shake it up, but I'm going to drain the swamp. And from the beginning, that is a hard attitude to take when you're the incumbent. You have become the swamp. You're not the outsider. You're the president. So he needs to kind of figure out a way to recalibrate as I'm fighting the the ex, the liberal elite, the whatever. Well, you, you can see, though, that he has he has attempted to do that with the whole deep state thing. Right. Where he and which has he has tried to use that to allow him, you know, both to be the head guy, but also the outsider battling the insiders, even though he is the insider, right? <laughs> right. That's so, so he, he, he has definitely tried to do that. I mean, I would put it, I think what you're saying is exactly right. I, what I would add to it is Donald Trump's ideology is dominance. Dominance, revenge, but dominance dominating your enemies, protecting your friends, dominating your enemies, and punishing your enemies. And if your ideology is is dominance and you're not dominating, that is a real, that's a problem. Um, and at the moment, he's not dominating. And that's, you know, yeah, you, you can see his desperation because of that. I was going to maybe mention a, some kind of recent reporting. There was, you know, some campaign shakeup in the in the Trump 2020 operation, I think Bill Stepien was promoted to maybe deputy campaign manager, sort of seen as a slight to Brad Parscale, the campaign manager. And there's been other reporting that Trump's basically just been berating Pat Parscale, kind of like, why are we losing, right? And why aren't we going after Biden harder and this and that? Um, and so you do see these like Scarborough attacks, the Twitter stuff, the railing against mail-in voting, all that kind of stuff is just grasping at straws to try to find some some way to, I don't know, reverse his position. And then also, at the same time, we've talked about Kevin Hassett a little bit, one of the White House economic advisors, who always seems to go on TV and admit uh, things that are true, but kind of are not flattering to 
to the, the president. <laughs> he said on one of the Sunday shows that I think, you know, in November, he could imagine there being double digit unemployment, uh, which for a, an incumbent president seems like a pretty killer uh, situation to be in killer as seems in unfortunate fatal yeah seems unfortunate for the country obviously to experience you know to be <laughs> experiencing that exactly and, uh, unfortunate for a lot of people <laughs> bad, for, <laughs> bad for trump's uh own political standing but i mean there's also on the flip side just to play devil's advocate a little bit i think there was a story maybe in politico this morning or last night about this quote-unquote the sort of situation democrats fear most which is that you know like you say josh uh Things are opening up a little bit. Business is creeping back uh, open a little bit. And what if there is, you know, huge growth in the third quarter of the year, maybe? And just because everything has been shut down, maybe it kind of it appears to be, you know, more have more momentum behind it than maybe there otherwise would. Does that seem like a, I don't know, a risky position for Democrats? Or does it I mean, or does it seem like if unemployment is still north of 10 percent, then just not yeah. what you can do to overcome I mean, that, you know. I'm no economist, but even if we have a gangbusters third quarter, I don't know how you go from the highest unemployment rate since the Great Depression to, wow, what a roaring, terrific economy, best America has ever seen. You know, I mean, people are still going to be massively out of work, not to mention, I mean, so many people have died, you know, that's just, it's quite a... A thing to have on your shoulders. I don't. I mean, by November to have our economy back in ro- raring and roaring to go. I don't know. That seems it's, unlikely. It's funny. I think I didn't. I didn't. I, I just very cursorily glanced at at the Politico article, and I think it's based at least partly on some things Jason Furman has said. And Jason Furman is, uh, you know, one of the kind of the big. Uh, economists who, you know, the kind of economist who gets, a, he, he'd be appointed to something in a Biden administration. One of the, one of those guys, he was, uh, had a lot of appointments under, under Obama. And what he has been saying, I guess, is that we are going to see some of the, you know, the best economic numbers ever. And I think, I think what he's saying there is, you know, if you, if you have a, an exogenous, i.e. from the outside, not something building from within the economy, shock that, you know, you go from 3% unemployment to like 25% unemployment, and then that external shock is removed. You're going to have employment growth that will be faster than it has ever been. And I think, I don't think that is certain, but I think there's a decent chance that's the case. I mean, I found the, you know, we used to have this this little catch line called, you know, excellent news for John McCain, you know, mocking the... You know the endless efforts to find a conceivable way <laughs> where something that is very bad news and very bad news for Republicans could actually end up paradoxically being a disaster for Democrats. Um, it is certainly possible. I mean, I think it is even likely that you will have a bounce back that will be very rapid relative to how quickly unemployment rates usually go down. I mean, again, that's just obvious. Uh, all the restaurants are closed. Some of them are going to open back up again. I I think it is, I, I guess the question they're getting at is if we, you know, if we were at three and a half percent unemployment or whatever it was, and say we go to 25% unemployment, if in October we're back down to 10% unemployment, that Trump will be able to say, you know, we took a hit, but man, 
I was the one who said we had to reopen. We're coming back. We're roaring back. And so even if it's still not great in absolute terms that people will think that, you know, Trump is killing it, so to speak, maybe. I, I mean, I, I don't think people are going to forget what happened. Um, and I also don't think we're not still going to have an epidemic and people are still going to be dying. And, uh, in, in, you know, people are still going to be wearing masks, which even though we are all rightly supposed to be pro-mask, is still a bit of a bummer. It's a little surreal when you're walking around like, what the hell is everybody wearing a mask for? Like, am I, am I in like a sci-fi movie or something? So I, I just, the, the political press especially is always looking for a new story, a new storyline, a new take, a, a new way of arranging the information. And right now it is getting a little monotonous that every way you can think of to arrange the information comes out to, wow, it's looking pretty bad for President Trump because our whole society has collapsed and and we're in an epidemic and we're in a, a financial collapse and i think this is just kind of an over clever you know attempt to find a different read on things i mean let's hope i mean you know it, aside from being someone who pontificates on this podcast i run a business right so I certainly hope everybody isn't going to be out of work in a year, right? Because eventually that will affect our business and it'll affect our jobs and all that kind of stuff. So that would be awesome. And I do think there is a decent chance that, you know, big picture, we are going to have, you know, a significant bounce back because there's reason to believe there's still a lot of demand in the economy. But I think you really have to squint and, and bend the information. and Right do all sorts of stuff to come out with like, oh man, it turned out that it was just a disaster for Democrats because right. I'm not even sure why, because it's hard yeah, to figure. I mean, I will say even once things open up, I, this is sort of anecdotal, but I feel like most people I've talked to, you know, if restaurants fling their doors open, I don't think, you know, you're going to see people really eager to get back up close to people again to eat in dining rooms that smell like bleach basically or to you know go into a sports arena and pack together and all that so it really does feel like this sort of return to normal I guess in the old sense is just feels so far off that it's hard to even imagine that in November it's hard to imagine that in the early next year and beyond you know well and November just is not that it's not that long from now it's pretty soon, right? Um, not to mention the fact we're talking about, what is it, November 3rd? So we're really talking about October. Um, it, it's, it's funny. I don't know what all the different plans are and phases, but one thing that stands out to me is that when Georgia did this plan that was seen as like, you know, rash and too soon and all this stuff, and they seem to have been able to pull it off so far without any big, you know, spike in cases – that that plan still said that every employer who can have his or her employees work from home should have them work from home. So just right off the bat, that is not normal. And and not only is that not normal in terms of, you know, where you're working, it's not normal for every restaurant. Who I mean, think about where the three of us are – 
you know, used to work where David and I will hopefully work at some point again, you know, all the restaurants in our neighborhood in our work neighborhood in New York, even if, even if those restaurants are allowed to reopen, the number of people working in those offices is going to have to be, you know, just drop dramatically because those aren't factories or anything. Those are mainly in where we're, where our offices in New York City is in a neighborhood called Chelsea. It's a lot of tech, tech, lawyers, advertising, you know, a lot of, a lot of the kinds of work that can be done remotely. So even if those restaurants can open, as long as people who can work remote are supposed to work from home, they're not going to have enough business to survive. So, you know, we've got much bigger problems than, than, you know, a roaring back economy in, in the, in the third quarter. I mean, people kind of forget the third quarter starts in 30 days, right? I mean, it's really, really fast. Um, and we're not, we're still not even, we, we still haven't even had the, 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 the first, I think, unemployment number that will really capture the totality of all the people who were, you know, laid off and, and, and lost their jobs. Yeah. Well, maybe we can take the last little bit of the show to talk about a particularly viral episode in New York City, uh, a woman who was in the ramble of Central Park, which is kind of like a bird watching area, sort of off the main beaten path a little bit, uh, you know, a uh, a, a, a black man asked, is the white woman who was walking her dog off a leash, a black guy uh, who seems to be an avid birder uh, in this part of the park, asked if she could put her leash back on her dog because birds don't really love when dogs are running around barking and jumping at, at them and it turned into this whole thing. She record, you know, he was recording her. She threatened to call the cops on him. She did end up doing that um, on on camera saying an African-American man is threatening my life. This, this turned into one of the, one of the first real, I guess, big blowups of the lockdown era in a way. Right. Um, this is a young woman, probably in her thirties works, worked for a, a financial services firm. Uh, Josh, you had an interesting kind of take on this in that the, the response that we saw from her, the, the type of, I guess, racism and, you know, bias that she showed, from the outside, you know, this isn't someone who was wearing a red MAGA hat. This is a woman who was, you know, looked relatively anonymous uh, from the outside. What did you make of the the scene, the whole scene, and the kind of the response it has gotten? Well, what what struck me when I first saw it, and and I saw it in the sort of its original iteration on Twitter before it was picked up in you know news reports and stuff like that. And what struck me is this woman looked a fair amount like people in my social set, to be perfectly frank about it. Um, she she just, I mean, A, she appears to live in Manhattan. I mean, you know, that's probably why she's in Central Park walking her dog. Um, she, she presented as someone who, I remember when I saw it, I figured, you know, eh, financial services, advertising, um, looks like she probably, you know, she went to college, all, you know, that kind of, People, you know, kind of affluent, you know, middle class to affluent people, uh, some cases very affluent living in Manhattan. It's the kind of person who you'd, you you'd, you would sort of figure if you say, hey, you like Trump? Go, oh, I hate Trump. You know, still with her, still with Hill, you know, that kind of thing. And yet she it, it, it it's funny because what struck me about that video was not so much 
a visceral racism as she was annoyed and she knew that she could deploy calling the police and saying there's a black guy who's threatening me and that that checks boxes that can get a very aggressive police response and even to the point i assume everybody who who is listening to this at this point will have you know watched this video you know she calls the police she says and she says there's an african american man threatening me um not like threatening uh, my life even threatening right? my you know threatening my life and not you know not like when they say well can you describe him say well he's black he's 510 something like that and then she says it a few times and and by the last time she says it she's almost hysterical so if you're not watching the video of this happening if you were just listening to the phone call you would think he was already like literally attacking her and maybe she's in the process of being killed or something so she knew exactly which boxes to check to first threaten and then actually try to create a kind of you know black lives matter tragedy kind of scenario um and it was just very willful and deliberate and like one of the things that struck me again in that video is that before she calls the police she doesn't say hey i'll call the police on you she says i'll call the police and say there's an african-american man threatening me now he knows he's african-american right she's not you're not cluing him into anything and she's not talking to the police so there's no issue of like oh she's just trying to identify him so you can find him she, she's very specifically saying i'm gonna say there's a scary black guy here. I mean, it, it's very willful and, and I think very conscious. And again, it is not a, it's not lost on me that yes, people who do not look like they're at Trump rallies can be racist, do very racist things. Of course I know that. But I think that is what made this a very for me jarring but also i think in a broader societal sense educational thing because she did not present with the markers that our public conversation associates with racism well and i also think you had you had this unfurling while in minneapolis you know four police officers were fired after um a video was taken of one of them putting his knee on a black man's neck while the man's, you know, saying that he can't breathe and, and bystanders are protesting um, and that man died. And now you have, you know, protests in Minneapolis last night, you know, police used tear gas and all kinds of things. But it just those having those two events kind of unfurl in juxtaposition like that is really so stark because the, in Minneapolis, the police were responding to an alleged forgery incident. So you know, I don't even know the ins and outs. You know, it could be fake IDs, like could couching, be anything. Cashing a bad check or something like right, that. Right, yeah. or something. Yeah, right, right, right. And it's the it's the kind of the kind of crime that police are passing on amid the pandemic because it's not worth possibly exposing yourself to the virus when it's such a you know a low level nonviolent crime. Um, you know, so you've you've got 
the Minneapolis thing in the back of your mind when you're watching the the Central Park standoff, you know, it just throws into stark relief, kind of what you're saying, Josh, that this woman is using dynamics that she's clearly aware of to try to threaten a man whose crime was scolding her for putting her dog on a leash. And she was threatening him with death by cop, you know? Yeah, that that's the part that, again, there's some, some of these... Some of these videos that you see, you know, there'll be something like, you know, there's this whole genre of, you know, black family barbecuing and someone and, and someone comes up and like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm going to call the police, whatever. So that's kind of like, uh, you know, basically the, the caller in those cases just, you know, you're out of place. This is not I'm not comfortable you being here. So that's one thing you have other you have other. um genres of these videos where it's clear that the person the white person does does look threatened now that in in is is a different um uh permutation of their racism right that they are that they kind of see oh black person i'm I'm about to be killed i'm gonna you know call the police uh, whatever and again, in this case, it was it was just the calculatedness of it, because at some point she can't really say she felt threatened because at one point she almost like attacked him. Mm-hmm. She kind of lunged at him and point, you know, kind of pointed in his face or grabbed at his phone or something like that. Um, yeah, that was that's the thing that really stood out to me. All right. Well, maybe that's a good place to leave leave the pod for this week. Should we go around and share some? I don't know, brighter moments from our time in lockdown. Otherwise, I could start. And actually, Josh, maybe you can help put put to rest a an ongoing debate between Kate and I, which is I believe that the early morning hours of the weekend are actually the best times to get up, kind of, you know, do do kind of the things, the leisurely things you like to do. So I don't know. My favorite time of the weekend is like 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Maybe I'll play Animal Crossing on my new Switch. Maybe I'll, you know, go for a walk, go to the farmer's market. Maybe um, <laughs> any number of things. Could be anything. And I uh, find that philosophy Kate, personally <laughs> insulting, so. Kate has, a, Kate has a different view, so I'm, I'm curious where you fall on this. Obviously, you have younger kids, so maybe this is a, maybe it's a moot point, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think in our, in our in our household, you know, the clock has become, has has become a less relevant thing for us. Uh, you know, sometimes I get up very early. Sometimes I, I, I sleep in. Um, so I haven't had, I don't know. I, it would, it would, you don't have strong feelings. Uh, yeah. I don't have, I don't have, uh, I don't have strong feelings about that. Maybe that's best to keep the peace. That's right. The yeah. <laughs> right yeah. Anyways, yeah. that's yeah. my, that's my, I guess, positive moment. I just kind of like, you know, the quiet weekend time sort of to, uh, just take it easy and kind of, you know, do, um, do whatever you want, I guess. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess mine is, it, I think on Saturday last weekend, it was like beautiful out, like, you know, 75, sunny and breezy. And um, Logan Circle Park is like a block from our apartment. And that has just been such a, I don't know, it, it feels like an escape, even though it's a block away, different setting, beautiful, gorgeous old trees and, you know, colonial houses and everything. And it just feels very restorative. 
Nice. We were talking about, isn't that Kramer Books is the really pop, the famous kind of popular bookshop there, right? Mm-hmm. Is it moving from that location? Well, it's actually, it? it's in DuPont, not Logan Circle, but oh, DuPont, um, okay. yeah, yeah, it is moving. It's not clear where it's going to be yet, but interestingly enough, there's um, a pretty hot race for the city council of our ward, they call it in DC. There's like so many candidates, you know, and you see a ton of signs everywhere, but one of them has made it a, a plank of his campaign that he's going to keep Kramer's and DuPont. So <laughs> why are they, they're just, they're losing their lease or cause that really is a sort of an anchor right there on the right. North part of the circle. Yeah. No, I don't even know. I don't interesting. Know. Interesting. I wonder what that's about. Yeah. 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 I would, I would say, you know, one thing, and I, I, I'm sure uh, many people can relate to this, especially if, uh, if you live with a, you know, significant other spouse, kids, whatever the, you know, a lot of concentrated time, right. And, and, uh, concentrated time in a moment that has a lot of inherent stresses to it. Um, And so when a family or a couple or whatever is, you know, kind of housebound, that can, you know, that can lead to stresses and stuff like that. And I think it, it, it has for our family in the way probably it has for everyone else's. But I think just in the last uh, couple days, uh, it also concentrated time with your loved ones allows you to have moments of of growth and learning about yourself and learning how you how you interact with the people who are most important to you um and not just special you know kind of heartwarming moments but moments where you feel like oh maybe I kind of under I have a new insight here and I can be a better father, better husband, blah 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 blah. So I've had um I've had some of those moments recently and so those of those have been my silver linings. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. That is really nice to hear. So, on that note, uh, this would be a good time for you to order Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee because Definitely. they are the sponsor of the Josh Marshall podcast. Uh, you you know them well. We are big consumers, and it's 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 great stuff. So remember, if you'd like to try Grady's, you can go to uh, Grady'sColdBrew.com. If it's, if it's your first time ordering, you can use the promo code TPM to get twenty percent off your order, and you can also order it at Amazon.com or at your local uh, grocery store. And remember, you know we've hit on this a few times, but th- you know things are starting to open up now more in some parts of the country than in others, and now remains a really important time to patronize independent businesses near you, small businesses, restaurants, services, you know, people who give lessons. And this isn't just because we're all in this together and we need to think of each other collectively. There's also a strong self-interest because you want the places, the stores, the groceries, you know, all the different things, the hair salon, whatever it is, you want these places to be there when this is over, when things go back to something like normal. And the key to that is your business now. Now, some some people who are listening to this are struggling financially. You don't have the wherewithal to do it, you know, focus on yourself. But many of us are blessed, fortunate that we still have 
you know, disposable income. So think about it, use it strategically, because again, it's just a good way to be a human, but it's also a good way to preserve the things that you enjoy, things you love, the stores you want to go to. So, so keep that in mind and, uh, you know, stop by the local place. If it's only curbside, great, but think about all these places and, and do what you can. Yeah, I will say, um, I don't know, Josh, if you've been to this place on 23rd Street and I guess 8th Avenue, New London Pharmacy. It's obviously open. It's an essential business because oh, it's yeah, yeah, a pharmacy. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know where that is. You know, I used to buy sort of toiletries there um, on a break from the from work when we were in the office. I just placed a, a, an order for delivery from them, and it felt a little bit weird to have a, you know, get shipped some products from a place that's a few miles you know across the way but i'm pretty homebound these days not really getting into manhattan and so just trying well, to do, a, do our well, part to without the subways as, as an option it might as well be like in texas or something yeah true right so, um, i mean it's yeah yeah so. but i um i felt felt good about supporting a place like that not just ordering from amazon like a default so looking forward to that yeah absolutely absolutely all right nice to talk to you all cool all right see you next week later Thank folks you guys. Bye.